Welcome to Severance Radio, a Nevada Reads on-air book club. I'm Heidi Kaiser. Over the course of 13 episodes, Severance Radio will dissect a single book, Severance, the satirical dystopian novel by Ling Ma. This book is a mixture of immigrant family story, corporate satire, and global health crisis. It's also the story of Candace Chen. Candace is a millennial first-generation American office drone who meanders her way into adulthood and ends up finding a world devoid of choice and feeling. During our live weekly radio broadcast, listeners heard an excerpt from the audiobook followed by discussions featuring literary luminaries, educators, and subject matter experts. For our podcast listeners, we leave out the book and cut straight to the conversation. Think of this as your own personal book club in podcast form. If you haven't read Severance yet, that's okay. These conversations are meant to serve as an accompaniment to the novel. Though, full disclosure, some of our guests, in addition to making insightful points, do indeed hint at plot spoilers. So read the book. Okay, got your book? Great. Let's get started. Throughout the novel, NY Ghost serves as a portal to what's happening in New York. And though Candace isn't a complete fan of the photographs, the blog becomes a living record of what's happening in Manhattan. How does the apocalypse inspire art? Joining us to talk about creative apocalyptic expressions are Brent Holmes and Lance L. Smith. Holmes is a multidisciplinary artist and the designer for Desert Companion magazine. Smith is a multidisciplinary artist, illustrator, teacher, and the artist manager of the Rogers Art Loft. Hey, Brent. Hey, Lance. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. So, um, Lance, for you, how do you think this like relates to you creatively, especially like right now in in this moment where where we have a lot of you know mirrors to the subject matter where that's addressed here. Severance was interesting to read because it did kind of cue up. Um, multiple kind of personal kind of life similarities, like the whole, like, you know, life without parents kind of thing. But overall, one of the things that struck me the most was the use of the Bible. You know what I mean? Not like specifically the use of the individual um, chapters or like individual Psalms or whatever, but just the functions of a Bible. Um, Specifically since as a kid, like, you know, I grew up in church and also was a Sunday school teacher from like, preteen to teenage years, I, I remember the variation in Bibles. You know, like I remember very much having, when I got a teen Bible, it was like a gift. It was like such a big deal. And even though that Bible was, you know, I won't say problematic, but it, you know, it kind of manifested as a um, kind of tool for me to broker uh, with God, I guess at the time to try and take away this queerness. So it was just interesting to kind of see the Bible and just its use all around the world is this uh, kind of, I guess, quiet century and all that it takes to actually create it. And, you know, again, the idea of invisible labor came up a whole bunch of times. But what about you, Brent? What do you think? You know, for me, again, you know, I was, I was raised, I was raised going to Sunday school. I did, I did, you know, church camps and, and, and all of the different little religious events that, that my family orchestrated around. It was interesting to me because I'm, you know, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm happily divorced from the Bible. Um, 
and <laughs> and uh, um, who got the kids? Yeah, <laughs> the Bible got the kids. Uh, <laughs> the the Bible as object was a really fascinating breakdown um, in its presentation, its build, and we we see the Bible as as tool philosophically, um, uh, socially, and how it structures and influences you know the lives of our characters um, in the story, but. But the Bible as objects and the fact that even though it is something that is fraught with mysticism and like kind of a keystone of a certain type of authoritarianism, it is still a thing constructed and constructed based on demands. I, I was really fascinated with this book's take on kind of the end of the world, but how, how we're in the middle of sort of the end of the world and it is in many ways, the mirror that, that that's there that that um, our routines are driving us further and further into kind of the decimation of yes. our civilization. That's a great point. You know, like the idea of repetition, the idea of habit was something that came up quite a bit in Severance, and I thought that was interesting. But also, it was so strange because like with um these entities like you know for me when i see the narratives of like zombie narratives or this undead narrative it always just feels like a thinly veiled uh, reason to kill another human being <laughs> you know what i mean and like and i'm not gonna say that it didn't go there in many ways in severance it did very much so but i found it interesting that there was this um a lot of kind of gendered conversations. There was a specifically one portion with a, a, I won't go too far into it, but there was a family and, you know, and the, the Candace, the way that they were able to see that the woman, I guess, uh, presume woman was the mother was because of her face cream, which I thought was really interesting that there was all of this kind of power in, uh, in that mundane process of, well, some would consider mundane, but also for, you know, women, you know, or femme people, you know, like that, that upkeep, you know what I mean? Like to kind of keep your social status, like, what does that mean? You know, and I thought smells came up a lot, you know what I mean? Like, yo, you smell like a, a men's department store, you, you know what I mean? Or you smell like, and like, there was really interesting descriptions of the smells in the space. So I think for me, the way that things are just, uh, the description of the smells really actually brought me more into the reality that is severance sometimes more than the actual writing, because I could, cause I'm, I'm, I'm a very like, like that memory, the memory kind of recoiling uh, via a smell. And they talk about that, you know, but I thought the idea of nostalgia, the way that it was used, like in some ways is like, it's the, like the epitome of what's going to destroy you, but then but destroy you. But also in other ways, it was like, like fun little like eighties moments to like pop up. And it was just like, notice me here. You know what I mean? And it was just like, but then at the same time, someone like a Bob or even consecration came up a lot. Like, you know, like Bibles, you know what I mean? That, you know, consecrating of a spirit, you know, Bob with their kind of a ritual, you know, the consecrating of a space, but also consecration as a way to uh, kind of circumvent or jump over what you're really doing. You know, always having this uh, quote unquote higher 
destiny or power as like the kind of catapult to allow you to, you know, really kind of do whatever you wish. But I mean, this is, the, and, and like, so since we're talking about Bob a little bit, like w what I find fascinating about Bob and what I find really um, existing within the, the, like within <laughs> the book and within reality simultaneously is that we have this, um, and, and this is, a, this has been a constant throughout the history of the United States and goes back f far further than that. But, 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 but these vindicated men, um, men that are, are vindicated and galvanized in their righteousness, whether it be through the Bible or, you know, the brazen audacity of whiteness. How dare he? But it is, it is, it is the, but you, you, when you, when you look at the character, Bob, right, Bob doesn't, Bob doesn't think Bob's coming from a malicious or oh, detrimental no. or derogatory place. Bob is coming from a place of protection and enlightenment. Um, just like it, as a, you know, cursory, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, you know, it's the mundanity of evil. I think that gets tossed around a little bit too much sometimes, but there is the sense that, that, and, and we're, we're very much so watching it right now, uh, in our own culture where we're watching people say, well, no, I'm the protector. I'm salvaging. I'm vindicated by God. I, I am a merciful person. I am a caring person. I'm trying to take care of my community. I'm trying to organize the world when you know, in actuality, they just don't know anything beyond their own authoritarian leanings, their own authoritarian ideologies, and they think that that's acceptable. It's, it, you know, it's like it's manifest destiny. Period. God told me to travel. But the, it, it, there are a, a lot of conversations around the idea of personal freedom. And um, I will say I did find it, um, I found it interesting that we don't see, uh, other than our primary character, we really don't see many characters of color. No. Oh, because they're rendered invisible. Labor is rendered invisible, and we are kind of living in this 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 fantasy of freedom. And the constrictions in your life are your routine. You know, and I think it's funny because when you again, when you go back to like some of the uh, parts of Severance that Brent, when you talk about some of the parts of Severance that really uh, harken true to me, was you know like towards the end when they get to the mall and you see all the signs of the sale signs, the for sale signs, you know what I mean? And to think of this capitalistic kind of beast, like even to the bitter end, still like we still have these products, you know what I mean? But then also like the idea of um, back to Las Vegas, again, that invisible labor. Like when you think of uh, the book talks a lot about like the trees, you know what I mean? And how things are overgrown. And again, when that, when things like this, stop that invisible labor you know what i mean when we started to ease up at all what are the first things you see as people getting their lawns fixed you know what i mean like that was one of the first things i would start to see even while we're in the thick of it you know of the pandemic you're still seeing the desire of those with the access and the funds to be able to to request these bodies to still manicure their you know their their properties or their illusion of a property you know because i think that's one of the things that kind of comes along in severance allies this illusion of of the place that you occupy you know what i mean but one of the things that i did find a lot of comfort in was uh even though there it was tumultuous and like the parental kind of uh stories were you know filled with a lot of i won't even say negativity but a bit of a lot of realness you know what i mean like about what it means to uh relocate you know, what it means to start a new life in a new place. Uh, one of the things that I really 
uh, found interesting was a lot of the kind of reverence towards the your your dead, your ancestors. You know what I mean? It wasn't a lot of it, but specifically, you know, the what for the most the brightest spot for me was the the ritualistic burning of money and in uh, images that are meant to be sent right to uh, your your deceased or your ancestors, like that kind of transmutation of energy. Like I really did it, and I do. I I really did enjoy the way that the her parents were not just like oh they're they they're deceased now so now they they're they're no longer here like their moments like manifest in a way that for me grounded the story far more than the harrowing uh, apocalypse narrative you know what I mean like they're every day they're like figuring out what does it mean for us to be here I miss my family I don't want to be in this place what are the things that we know that or we we've come here for okay we come here for the American dream so we're gonna rely on that American dream to satiate our desire to be home. Or even, you know, when uh, Candace goes to on that first uh, trip to the factory in China, uh, to the Bible-making factory, you know, and the, that poem that is directly connected to her name and she doesn't know her own name. Like, some of that stuff was just, like, starting to harken to, like, you know, some of, you know, people of the African-American experience. You know what I mean? Like, but not even having that homeland to go back to. Like, I don't know. It was just really strange, like, this this back and forth between, like, I am not, I'm solely uninterested in this part of me, but I know that it's part of me. So I'm going to acknowledge it, but only so far. Well, well you know, the, 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 well, I think, I think that that ancestor veneration, um, it's interesting because we do have all these, these, these subtle and, and unsubtle biblical overtones, but the most spiritual or the most intimately spiritual part of the story for, for me, at least was within that ancestor veneration and that's something um, I think both of us as members of the, the African diaspora um, ha- have grown in our, our understanding and appreciation of in our own lives in that that is part of, of something that, that we lost through, um, you know, a history, the America's history of, of, of chattel slavery. And, and also, you know, I find it interesting every time I talk about um, apocalypse or, or the end of the world, I, I, when, when we talk about black and brown bodies, especially in the Americas, uh, you know, whether you're Latinx or indigenous or, or African-American, like all three of those cultures ha- are survivors of apocalypse. You know, the apocalypse was colonialism for them. The apocalypse is now, baby. The apocalypse is ever present. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the apocalypse just switches from guises. It go, you know what I mean? It goes sometimes more overt and then it goes more covert. But oftentimes fairly overt. So correct. Go ahead. Continue. Oh no, 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 no. I mean, I think you, you're you're absolutely. On, I, I'm tracking you completely. Like it, it, there, but there is in it. We, we lost our ancestor veneration. It was interesting to see that from um, from a Chinese perspective because like th- that that that's a through within their culture. Whereas you know, I I'm I'm 40 years old now, and mm. you know, it's only maybe been the last five years of my life that I have any relationship with ancestral veneration, which is a complete departure from the Judeo-Christian upbringing that I had or have, um, in which, which I I will, I, I do not feel like it was completely lost. I feel like with anything, especially like extermination via, you know, colonialism or white supremacy, there's always, again, that resistance. So even though it morphed 
and you know but there's still the that that power in that reverence it just had to shift or where i grew up you would oftentimes seeing you would see the pouring of oh you know it's kind of a trope oh look at those uh latinx people or those black people pouring out of uh some malt liquor on the ground no dear that's libation you're pouring a libation to a spirit <laughs> you know what i mean like you're pour you know what i mean like you know throwing shoes up on those um on power lines, murals, those um, those airbrushed T-shirts that we wear when someone passes away, you know the the really kind of interesting configuration of a um, the leaflet um, when you when you pass away that that you know with like the airbrushed picture and like all like it's there it just it hid it had to kind of hide under uh, oftentimes uh, modes of being. For certain African American people and other uh, minorities, uh, that didn't really ding 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 didn't hit that bell too much. You know what I mean? Because you know you you still will get pushed back for many people that say, "Oh, ancestral veneration is sorcery," because it says in the Bible that if you're talking to anyone outside of God, that's sorcery. Uh, I mean, I, I think with apocalypse and, and what you're talking about, especially um, with African Americans. Um, and other cultures in, in the United States, as you do, you always are, you, you, and, and that's a, through, a thread again through this story is, is, is there's a lot of conversation about the idea of displacement, right? Uh, she comes from a family of immigrants. They are displaced from their culture. We have this entire kind of conversation about the Mormons in, in Salt Lake City, which is another kind of displaced culture. And, and that is on some level, you know, not the, maybe the, the again, the Grand Mall, like 7,000 headed beast, uh, rivers of blood apocalypse, but it is sort of the end of a world. And what you do whenever you're displaced from anything is you take what you can, you carry it with you and you hold it close, whether that's your traditions or, or, or your valuables. And, and we see that over and over again, uh, in this novel. And we're seeing, um, that in, you know, kind of also played out, uh, I think, right now culturally is we're trying to take what we can from the old world and i think that's where a lot of the the strife is coming from because i do think that that we're in a in a moment of of you know great change as a species as uh, not just as a nation but as a species in there you know and and the biggest conflict we're observing um is is this kind of well what are we taking with us uh, and, 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 and there's people that are holding on very much so too. well, I need service and I need objects and I need this. And they're afraid because if, if those are the things that they used to define their lives, just like our zombies in this story, the things that define their lives were, were services and repetitions and, and facial creams and, and, and all the, all these objects that, you know, uh, it's striking, um, the, the entire incident where they go back to their home, her zombification isn't triggered until she's yeah, you're back. objects you know it for me it harkens back to the like i want to go die with my things you know what i mean like <laughs> it's just like i need to go and die with my things like that's always very much a through line but i wonder there's something that i do wonder like because um when we think of these fevered individuals like we very we never really go into like what about housing displaced people no, no, I, I completely agree. I did wonder the entire, uh, you know, the entire book. I was like, well, okay, so like people with nine to five jobs, they get into this thing and people with domestic lives. But like, what happens when your life is constant upheaval? How does that manifest? How does this same kind of kind of degradation of the mind due to uh, Shen fever occur in people that don't have uh, a high level of routine structure that don't have the same kind of life navigability? 
And, 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 and I, I certain, it certainly hit upon my head that it was something absent from the conversation that there is a whole world of people that don't live within, uh, uh routines and, and, the, the, you know, precarity, um, which is what we're living in now and what we're constantly living in precarity and in, like, in performance art, we talk about ex- the exploration of precarity and the exploration of like neither being here nor there and what mental states those create, right? You, you, where, where yes, you come up with kind of a plan. Yes, you have some objects to work with. Yes, you're, you're doing a thing, but you, you don't necessarily know what exactly what you're doing. And that's where you, you, you insert what is, you know, the real, real life. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, and I think the thing that also comes up for me is, you know, as artists, like I talk with, uh, some of my mentors about this, like inherently, like we are not too much different as artists, as you know, the people making those Bibles, like we still, you know what I mean? Like there's a bunch of invisible labor in everything, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying that to push anyone away from creating, but I think it's something to think about, you know what I mean? Like when, like who, like, and then also like when you imbue a thing with a level of importance, that thing can always eventually come back to but to kill you. You know what I mean? Like that's always something I'm thinking of. It's like, okay, so you're imbued like and also, you know, like, you know, where some groups have the freedom to be able to imbue things with a level of life and never too much worry about it having to come back uh like a boomerang where other people where identity politics are involved, you know, you, you have to be very careful because it's something that can be used against you at any time. You know, and I felt sometimes identity was used for and against some of the characters in many different ways. When we're, when we're, when we're making striking parallels, um, you know, to between this book and, our, and the current situation, um, again, capitalism destroys that culture. Uh, um, they're in a, you know, it's all shipping containers and boxes and, and, and we're in a very similar circumstance in that our economic ideologies are, are what's kind of uprooting the safety of millions of people and the health and well-being of millions of people. And the majority of those people, let's be real about this, are people that are people of color, are black and brown people. They are the ones that are being hospitalized and dying at the most uh, you know, astronomical rates. Astronomical rates, and these are the people that work in what, what, as we were saying, the, the the labor that is invisible. These are the people that that these are your janitorial. They don't have the option of not of, of staying home. Yeah, but then also, unfortunately, when brought into these spaces, we know, you know, you can even ask someone like a Serena Williams. They're not, you know, prioritized. So yes. this is even a, 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 a almost infinite wormhole of just like, I guess, like fear, you know, like, what would it mean? Yeah, you, you know what I mean? To walk into us because there are cases of many people of color walking into hospitals saying that there was things wrong with us. And even when you go back to and, and then being ignored and then eventually dying. But then even when you go back to the way that a lot of the, the medicines, even when you go back to, you know, like the father of gynecology, he was uh, doing all those things on on slaves. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, not with, without their consent. People of color, but black people in particular in this in this country, can't trust the medical institutions. Are consistently are, are tend to work uh, in 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 positions that are considered what, what what would have been referred to as essential, which are the lowest paid, m- most physically taxing kind of work that you can have in a culture. And because they have low trust levels and low attendance and and low care in the medical institute in in, in medical institutions. 
they, the people have unchecked and undiagnosed or untreated ailment. And that's what's, that's what's killing. And that's why the death level is disproportionate with black people and with Latinx people is these people are taught to tough out their lives. I'm, uh, you know, artists uh, are really, really privileged to associate with lots of different types of people. Our, our roles don't get bottled up. And I'm very close friends with a nurse um, in the city. And she, she told me about the COVID ward and that it was like here in Las Vegas and that it was 90%, you know, Latinx, 10%, you know, African-American. And then there was one, one white person in, in the entire ward. And then she proceeded to explain to me and, and, and she's a white woman. She's, uh, you know, she's, she's relatively unbiased, but she's proceeded to explain to me, you know, the person that needed the most care, the person that made the most nurse calls, the person that needed to have a nurse in attendance was that one white person. The, the rest of these, these Latinx men coming off of construction sites, the, you know, these black service workers, these people toughed it out. They sat there suffering quietly because that's something that you become accustomed to within institutionalized racism and and cultural oppression and if we if we push towards the 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 you know how those subjects are relevant how labor practices and how how capitalism affects human well-being right we we reopened everything early half the states couldn't close everybody's up in a tizzy people don't want to wear masks everybody you know you got people Protesting, you know, it's it's again uh, very much Brent. It feels like you know you think about the uh, American individualism will be the death of us. Yes, but American individualism isn't individualism, Lance. It's a ton of interdependency covered over by by some bootstrap ideology that your all the people that are you know anti the anti mask movement the the the, the I, I want my haircut and my restaurants and my bars back people these people are have built their identities around service and to build a culture of service is to ignore is to ignore that that culture is built by um people by bodies by humans and you only are expecting to be served. You you perceive humans as automatons, and and that's forcibly negligent. Thanks so much to Brent Holmes and Lance L. Smith for that lively discussion. Severance is a 2020 Nevada Reads book selection. Nevada Reads is a statewide book club that invites readers from across the Silver State to come together and share in the love of reading. Severance Radio, a Nevada Reads book club, is produced by the Beverly Rogers, Carol C. Harder Black Mountain Institute, and Nevada Humanities. Support from the Nevada Center for the Book, the Institute of Museum and Library Services, the Nevada State Library, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Our engineer is Phil Corbett. Our writer is Sara Ortiz. Production by Lily Allen, Mir Arif, Stephanie Gibson, Kathleen Kuo, and Layla Muhammad. And I'm your host, Heidi Kaiser. Thanks for listening. 